Welcome to Faith and Freedom Fighters. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center. And as usual, I am joined by my fellow freedom fighter, co-founder and senior counsel, David Yurishami. Uh, David is, uh, is appearing today remotely from Iowa. As you can, those who are watching the uh, video cast can see he's uh, in his hotel room in Iowa. He is actually preparing for an Ironman 70.3, which is a half Ironman uh, competition. So for those of you who don't know, my colleague is like a world-class uh, Ironman triathlete. So, and uh, he indicated to me earlier today that he hopes to set the world record for his age group during this uh, this half Ironman or Ironman 70.3. So anyways, with uh, with that intro, I want to begin with, uh, with really an interesting story published by Fox News on June 14th titled, North Korean defector says even North Korea was not this nuts after attending Ivy League school. So that's the uh, that's the title of this this article, which I had posted up on our on our Facebook uh, on our Facebook page, American Freedom Law Center. Um, the story is funny, uh, but sadly, it's it's no joke. And here are some highlights that I want to read for you from this story, and then and then uh, David will do an intro and and uh, comment. And so it says, as American educational institutions continue to be called into question, a North Korean defector fears the United States' future, quote, is as bleak as North Korea, end quote, after she attended one of the country's most prestigious universities. The woman, Miss Page, has experienced plenty of struggle and hardship, but she does not call herself a victim. One of several hundred North Korean defectors settled in the United States Park, who's 27, transferred to Columbia University from a South Korean university in 2016 and was deeply disturbed by what she found. Here's a quote from Ms. Park. I expected I was paying this fortune, all this time and energy, to learn how to think. But they are forcing you to think the way they want you to think, Park said in an interview with Fox News. I realized, wow, this is insane. I thought America was different, but I saw so many similarities to what I saw in North Korea that I started worrying. She said those similarities include anti-Western sentiments, collective guilt, and suffocating political correctness. She was shocked and confused by issues surrounding gender and language with every class asking students to announce their preferred pronouns. She said it was chaos. It felt like the regression in civilization. And she goes on to say, even North Korea is not this nuts. North Korea was pretty crazy, but not this crazy. And this, there's some really, uh, you know, very uh, pertinent points she makes. She, cause, she says, because I have seen oppression, I know what it looks like. And she says, these kids, they're our fellow students at this Ivy League school, these kids keep saying how they're oppressed, how much injustice they've experienced. They don't know how hard it is to be free. Right, so you, you have this woman from North Korea who's, I mean, she literally had to go across the desert to, to be freed from the, the oppression in North Korea. In fact, at one point when she crossed the, uh, apparently she crossed the Yalu in China when it was frozen, she was, she was, uh, she and her mom were taken hostage and actually sold into slavery. It was Christian missionaries who then worked with her to be able to escape across the desert into South Korea, and she eventually winds up here in the United States of America, the land of the free. And what she was experiencing in these Ivy League schools 
was the propaganda that she saw in North Korea and this absolute lack of freedom. I mean, this is, again, it's, 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 a, it's a kind of a funny story to read about, but sadly, it's no joke. And, you know, the media here is, uh, and, and, you know, we see this in America. It's happening in the Ivy Leagues. It's the media. It's, it's become the, progressive, the propaganda arm of the progressive left. They have to convince you, for example, that objective moral norms do not exist. Everything's relative, meaning for the left, there is no God. Rather, science is their God, but not real science, like biology, but their agenda masquerading as a science. Now, we're on a very dangerous trajectory. You know, David correctly pointed out, pointed out many times on these uh, podcasts and video casts that we're currently in a non-kinetic civil war. And to me, the dividing line isn't Republican versus Democrat. In my view, most Republicans are Democrats, but no Democrats are Republicans. The dividing line could be left versus right, but I don't think that necessarily captures it. For me, it's more Judeo-Christian values in Western civilization, which is grounded upon these values, versus those who reject these values, right? And, and you have this, this woman who, and her mom there who risked their lives for freedom to then go to these Ivy League school and, and see that, you know what, this is just, this is more the same of what I experienced in North Korea. We're on a very, very dangerous trajectory. And with that, David, I'd like to welcome to the show and, and uh, we're all gonna wish you good luck during the, uh, the upcoming race, which I believe is on, is on Sunday. But, thank uh, you, Rob. Good, good to see you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, welcome from Des Moines, Iowa, land of uh, corn and the uh, caucuses, the presidential caucuses, which makes Iowa famous uh, every four years. The truth is I do compete in these triathlons and this is a half Ironman. So I'll, just for our listeners, it's 1.2 mile swim, run to your bike, bike 56 miles, and then run a half marathon, 13.1 miles. About two months ago, I competed in the first uh, half Ironman of this season, which was the first races after COVID in Texas and uh, finished in five hours and 41 seconds. My goal was to be under five hours. I set the record for that course for my age group, which is 65 to 69. So this is a message to all those seniors out there that just because we reach the so-called retirement age and Rob and I don't believe in retirement. So that's just a term of art. Uh, but when you reach that age, um, things don't stop. You continue to be productive, add value, uh, work, because if what you're doing with your work is your vocation is productive and meaningful, there's no reason for it to stop until you can't do it any longer. And of course, being physically fit and active. Uh, I happen to be a triathlete. Rob is a avid hunter and, and also now a fisherman. So um, gets plenty of exercise that way. But, you know, this story is indeed interesting. And Rob had sent me, you know, a few things that he wanted to comment on it. And he did today when he concluded, I'm going to quote, for me, it is more Judeo-Christian values and Western civilization, which is grounded upon those values versus those who reject those values, end quote. And Rob was saying that in contrast to a kind of Democrat, Republican, and Rob's expression that there are, you know, uh, Republicans aren't conservative. There are no, there, what was the, how did you put that? Yes, it's uh, not all, not, uh, 
not all Republicans are Republicans and no Democrat is a Republican. I mean, right. there are some Republicans that are that are Democrats. I mean, we see them, right? The rhinos. There's unfortunately, there's too many of them. And it's not left versus right. And it's not even really kind of liberal versus conservative anymore. Uh, Rob really hit the nail on the head. Um, and the only thing that I would change is that while it's a Judeo-Christian values and Western civilization um, versus those who reject those values, I would say, versus those who wish to destroy those values. Because what we see in the, in the cancel culture, you know, it doesn't surprise us that a North Korean immigrant who understands tyranny, I mean, it's not just um, a non-free nation state, if it can be called a nation state, it's a tyrannical one. And it's, as we understand it, probably the most tyrannical in the world right now. Um, and certainly China runs a close second, but, but North Korea is that. That she notes that at Columbia University, which is a New York school, New York City school, but part of the Ivy League schools, um, is, as it were, as tyrannical in thought that they're not teaching people how to think. They're not even teaching people um, what to think. They're imposing it upon their students. Um, but it's, you know, that's not surprising. And we know from, from just reading the news every day that cancel culture um, attempts to wipe out any kind of thought that runs contrary to the, the accepted politically correct um, progressive narrative. But it's even more than that because cancel culture is really just the tip of the iceberg. The reality is the progressive movement seeks to destroy Judeo-Christian Western civilization values. And the reason it does so, we've talked about it here before, is that Judeo-Christian Western values, what do we mean by that? We mean that, that a nation must be grounded upon a unifying understanding of reality. Now, there are two aspects to a unifying understanding of reality. The first is the ground of being, the basis upon which everything is measured. And we talk measurement in terms of, of morality, philosophy, ethics, not the measurement of science, which is simply dimensional. That ground of being, as Eric Vogelin called it, that foundation is the belief in God and that transcendence establishes the ultimate truth upon which everything else is built. And that's why we have as our expression, in God we tr uh, trust, that without that, you tear asunder any foundational basis. And so where do you start building a society? Well, especially one like America that's not founded on a kind of common history or common culture that goes back um, uh, centuries, as the Spaniards might, as the Englishmen might, as the Frenchmen might, the Germanic people might, or even the Slavic people of Russia. We don't have that. 
And our founders understood without that foundation of those inalienable rights established by the creator as part of nature, as part of our nature, then you're simply picking your moral foundations, your philosophical um, uh, primitives, as it were, your brute facts subjectively, arbitrarily, and progressives choose, as Hegel did, time or history writ large, capital H or capital T, that there is no, as it were, foundational notion. It's just whatever they decide within this time frame, that time today is transcendent. So if they decide today that whatever you did last year or a hundred years ago no longer fits their narrative, then you get wiped out. You're evil. And if you even recognize that past as important as part of the little h, the history of this nation, then you're a racist. We must tear down those statutes, those statues and the statutes as it were. So that's the destruction that they seek. And it's the denial of reality that that is so destructive because when you deny history with a little h, when you just deny what was important about our founding, even with its imperfections, because there will be no perfect human society and you strive toward perfection by reaching toward God's truths. Man won't reach that, but he can strive to reach that. And that's the perfection of any good society. But when perfection becomes simply time, capital T, progressives, then you don't know what it's going to be. Tomorrow, you know, today, as Rob has pointed out many times on this podcast, the, the, the left likes to, to worship science but they don't really worship science because when it comes to biology, they're willing to deny science and say biology is trumped by what they call gender identification, however you want to identify yourself. But that's the denial of reality. And that's fundamentally the destruction of the human, of the human condition, because we're not simply animals and we're not angels. We don't live simply in the dirt and we don't sit, live simply in the heavens, as it were. We exist in the in-between. And that's what faith and Judaism and Christianity, that's what gives us that ability to navigate that in-between without becoming the most base animal that we can be, like North Korea, or attempt to be angels of our own making, right? Because we're not even angels of an objective stature, um, according to the progressives. We're whatever they say it is today, whatever that status is, that's what you are. Yeah, and you know, one of the, and we say this time and again, and it's worth repeating here, um, because here's one of the other quotes from this, uh, this North Korean defector from that news article says, quote, the people here, meaning here in the United States, are just dying to give their rights and power to the government. That is what scares me the most, end quote. 
And, you know, that's one of the things that scares has been scaring me the most about this whole COVID-19, you know, pandemic and response to it is how willing now American people are so, you know, so ready to give their freedoms away. The genius of our founding fathers, right, is that is they understood that we have these certain inalienable rights that are they were endowed by our creator with these rights. And the Bill of Rights isn't a granting of rights. It's a break on the power of government to interfere with certain inalienable rights which again come from our creator. So this, this um, really, this, ex this political experiment is recognized more than, than any, any other time in, in the history of humans, humankind, the, the, uh, the reality of our beings and that, and that the reality of these you know, rights are endowed by our creator. And so the more, and so it's the, these are all restrictions on government because there's a tendency for those in power to want to retain power and to gain more power. And the greater that government grows, the, the converse, the more freedoms that you lose. And we're seeing that. And we're seeing that the way the progressives have taken over this government, the government wants to continue to grow and grow and grow. And the more our government grows, the more we're going to lose these, these fundamental freedoms. It was interesting when, uh, when Obama won the presidency, and that's really when the, the hardcore progressive left these ideologues. Certainly we had liberals who wanted to grow government. But these are these are hardcore ideologues. The uh, you know the the Obamas of this world, the Eric Holders of this world, and we're seeing that now. This government infiltrated uh, infiltrated with them. My wife had a discussion with a, a woman whose family had to flee from the old Soviet Union, right? The oppression of the uh, old Soviet Union, and uh, they were having a conversation one day, and and she looks my wife into the eye and the eye, and you know because they were complaining about all these things, the government growing and the powers that they're grabbing and the loss of freedoms. And she says to her, are you afraid? This, this former one of the Soviet Union says to my wife, are you afraid? And my wife says, yeah, I am. And she looks at her and says, you're not afraid enough. Right? This, is, this is serious, what's, what's going on here. And, and really, we get to learn from these people who've, who've experienced this, to, this type of totalitarianism. And it's just slowly growing here in, uh, in the United States. And quite frankly, I think we've seen it with uh, you know, grow in spades um, during this, uh, this COVID-19 um, pandemic. Bob, you know, I want to jump in on two things. One is, your, your, you know, the discussion your wife had with this woman is is absolutely correct. And of course, as you know, my position not only is that we're in a non-kinetic civil war. There is no political process, given the levers of power within the political world, the cultural world, the educational world, and the social world that the progressives now control, there is no political process that will allow the re-articulation of the Judeo-Christian understanding of the world in this country, in my view. We have it as individuals, and we have it within our, our own kind of microcosmic institutions. But I don't believe as a nation, I think we've, we've crossed the Rubicon. I think we're, we're past the point of no return and the result of that, of course, is my view that, and it's one that I dread and would not advocate, and in fact would advocate strongly against, is that the only way this could end for this country or would end with for this country is in a Second Amendment situation, i.e. Uh, something other than a non-kinetic civil war. I don't even like to articulate it. And of course, people who say, well, the country is still the blessed nation, and it is. Um, and so God can intervene 
uh, in ways that we can't envision through natural means. And I, I'm not prescient, so I could just be wrong about that, but I don't see it. Um, but the um, other point I wanted to make, and that is this idea of natural rights and our founders. Uh, this may or may not be um, somewhat controversial for your classic Republican, um, but Leo Strauss, one of the most serious thinkers of the 20th century, um, had a lecture series at the University of Chicago and a book came out from that, which is probably one of his more um, well-known uh, works, Natural Right versus Natural History, uh, or Natural Right in History, I think was the title. Um, but what Leo Strauss points out is that if you look at the original philosophic or philosophers of the Western civilization, Aristotle, um, the Greek philosophers, uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas from the Catholic world, what they spoke about is natural law and that the corruption begins with the enlightenment, the Locke, uh, the Hobbes, the Locke, the Rousseau's, begins when they turn natural law into natural rights. Because natural rights, rights have to come from somewhere and they typically come from a government. The difference between classical Western civilization and the post-enlightenment Western civilization is that, and it's true of Judaism and um, as well Catholicism from the perspective of Thomas Aquinas. And that is that God created man as a, a priori political being, that man is a political being, that his very existence requires the articulation in political society in which natural law and the obligations that we have that come from God are very much a part of that society. And that what we have is the integrity of soul and a personage. And that brings with it liberties that we naturally have in nature. But rights come out of the political society and government is there to protect those rights. But the source is natural law, meaning God, not society. Hobbes, Locke, and the, the progeny from, from the Enlightenment come out and say, well, no, no, man is not, was not created by God as a political being to create these, these societies based upon God's natural law. No, man is a, is a, is a beast in, in nature, the state of nature. And of course, Hobbes claimed the state of nature was this, this violent place and that men got together and formed political societies only as a result of the fear of this wild, beastly society to protect themselves. Yeah, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, I think was right. uh, along those lines. <laughs> right. And then Locke comes along, and he, of course, Locke was really the, the father of the, of the Western Enlightenment and of our founding fathers. And he came along and said, yeah, man is this beast in nature, 
but the state of nature is this kind of idyllic place. It's not the, the dangerous place of Hobbes. And what men do is they form these social compacts. They get together and they create societies, um, not because they're natural, the state of nature is the state of nature, but because they realize that they want to have the greatest amount of good for the greatest number of people. And that can only be done if they get together and they agree on kind of societal terms. Now, both Hobbes and Locke created the state of nature and these kind of social compacts artificially because you can't go back in history and, and find them. Um, they were playing off, of course, Adam and Eve and, and, and the Garden of Eden, but that's not the biblical narration of the, the creation of man, but it's their political version. And But that subtlety, and not so subtle, change of classic Western civilization, is that these societies that men get together and create, they grant us our rights. That if you want to live in a society that's going to grant the greatest amount of good to the greatest number of people, then you have civil rights. And those are granted by the government. Now, the founders tried to play nuanced with that. They said, these are inalienable rights from our creator. So they took from both, hoping, of course, that the political structure of the United States that they created through a brilliant political document, the Constitution, would preserve that inalienability, that notion of transcendence that ultimately everything comes from God. And that's why the constitution was supposed to be this fixed document that could only be amended with massive agreement. When the left and the, the right um, uh, gave the Supreme Court the ultimate power to rewrite the constitution and when the progressive movement developed far enough along to where they would say out loud, the Supreme Court's obligation, aside from its duty, its obligation is to rewrite the Constitution as capital H or capital T, history and time, progressives, right? The living Constitution, which is exactly why the progressives and the left today want to pack the Supreme Court because their view is it's not enough to have these nine people that you can only you know, appoint and get past the Senate when the president is of your party and the Senate is of your party now because things are so contentious. It used to be that you didn't have to control the Senate to have good um, candidates for the Supreme Court uh, affirmed by the, by the Senate, um, even if they were of a different presidential party. Uh, Nowadays, if you control the Senate, you control the Supreme Court nominations. And so the left is saying, since we control the Senate by the skin of our teeth with the vice president's vote in many cases as the breaking the tie, we ought to pack the court so that um, we can have a majority, at least for Biden and however long we, we have the presidency. And of course, what they're willing to accept is the notion that if the Republicans were to gain the presidency and the Senate, they could then pack the court further or depack the court or do whatever, who knows what they would do. But here's the bet. 
And here's why I also said earlier that the progressives control the levers of political power, civil, uh, cultural power, social culture, power, educational power. They're betting that now that they're in power and they're going to institutionalize the fix on the national elections for president and the Congress, that they're not going to lose that. That if they pack the court, that's it. They will then control the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch, carte blanche. Therein lies a, a quick digression into or spiral downhill in my view. Well, I, uh, as I've said many before, in, in response to, to some of your comments, I'm I'm a little bit more hopeful uh, than than you are, perhaps on the uh, on t where this the the country will ultimately end up through these uh, certainly very very difficult times, and and I base that on the number of young people that I see going to church, going to mass, having children who are conservative and. Um, so this, you know, I, I, I pray every day that there's a miracle that will save this country because it is, it is pretty bleak in terms of the direction that things are going. Just I want to kind of wrap up this, uh, what has become a very interesting philosophical discussion. I love uh, hearing you discuss uh, philosophy. You have a, obviously a strong background in that. But, you know, one, one of the, um, with Thomas Aquinas going to that point about natural rights and, and, and the likes and, and natural law, you know, he, he said that, you know, man was created by God to be social, right? We're social by our nature. So that goes to the point that we are, we're political in the sense that we, we, we have these natural social, um, you know, this is society as where we have these natural social bonds, right? We're not sociable, meaning that it's the government that has to force us to be social. We're social by our nature. And because we're social by our nature, we are, we are political beings by our nature. And, and because of that too, these political institutions that help to develop this society um, derive their authority from God as a result of it. And so whenever you, you know, you, you sway away from that, then you have tyranny. Right, and that's what the that's what the left uh, left wants. And then one last point on this uh, on the idea of rights, and, and we've had this discussion many times off offline. You know, there's a there was a very good uh, book written by uh, Marianne Glendon. I, she was at the time, I know, a uh, conservative Catholic law professor at Harvard Law School, and the title of the book was Rights Talk. And really, this the essence of that is, you know, we've our our. You know, our discussions today often devolve into my rights. This is my right. I have a right to do this. I have a right to do that. And as soon as you do that, you end up shutting off all discourse because you automatically assume that because it's something that is a quote unquote right, that it is something that cannot be encroached upon. And so I think we, you know, we use that term, you know, right. I have a right to do this. I have a right to do that a little bit uh, too infrequently and, and incorrectly in, in many ways. And I think when, when we get into this rights talk, as she called it, um, it, it tends to shut off uh, discussion, discussion uh, of, uh, of particular issues. So uh, I, while we put a, uh, put a period on the end of that one, let's move on to the, to the, uh, the next topic. This was a, uh, and David, I'm going to have you fill us in on this one. It was an interesting, uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, he does these monologues and obviously you find him published. I find him very, very interesting. He's a very thoughtful, uh, thoughtful man and, and his show is is has a lot of substance unlike uh so many shows that are on you know tv fox included 
Um, but it was interesting. He, he had this, then it's, it was published in Fox and it's Tucker Carlson. Government agents may have helped organize the January 6th Capitol riot. Interesting. Yeah. David, fill us in on that. You know, it's an interesting take by Tucker Carlson and I'm, I'm not where he is on this subject. Um, and I think all of these talk show hosts that end up having, you know, a lot of programs and a lot of radio and, they're very busy and they rely upon their production people to, you know, develop these stories for them. So they don't have a chance to really drill down because I think Tucker Carlson is a bright young man. But in this story, what he and his people had done is they had drilled down on the indictments, which I have not done. I tell the audience right now, I haven't read them yet, um, but I will maybe for the next podcast. But they had read through the indictments of the January 6th insurrectionists, and I put those, that word in scare quotes, um, because I don't hold that view. Um, uh, there might have been some folks there who definitely wanted to wreak havoc and create violence, but they were a small minority. Um, most of the people there and the ones being arrested, most of the ones being arrested and charged with all kinds of heinous felonies, um, including things like insurrection, sedition, um, were just people there carried along in, you know, in the crowd um, and did not either go into the Capitol building or hung around or went in because the doors were open and people were going in, um, but did not intend anything bad. But they were looking at the indictments and what they found were the indictments mention various co-conspirators one, co-conspirators two, co-conspirators three, which they don't identify, and I'll explain what that is shortly. And that when you track all this, what you find is these unmentioned, these anonymous co-conspirators who were not charged with the crime were actually very much a part and parcel of the organizers of those who sought to create a violent situation on the Capitol building. And what that led Tucker Carlson to conclude is that these unnamed co-conspirators are either FBI informants or actual FBI agents, probably informants. And his point was, is that when you go from surveilling the various domestic terrorist groups or insurrectionist groups or potential ones, um, and you start engaging in entrapment by actually putting the thought and the operative logistics before them so that they will engage in crime, that this is crossing a line. Now, that's the, the, the legal nuances of entrapment um, are nuanced to say uh, the very least. And they're not, there's no bright line. I'm not a criminal lawyer, so I'm not going to opine. Rob has had far more experiences dealing in criminal law than I. Um, so I'll let him talk about that. But the notion that the government was very much involved in instigating the instigators, because keep in mind, and we, Rob and I both have been contacted by innumerable defendants, plain, you know, John Doe's, John Smith, Jane Doe's, who were just there to be at the Trump rally. 
and then kind of went with the crowd and either hung around by the steps or might have gone in, but had no weapons engaged in no violence and meant no harm. They're being facially recognized with software and through social media, they're being accosted by, meaning arrested, indicted by the FBI, the attorney, US Attorney's Office, and being charged and treated like dangerous insurrectionist felons. And um, the problem that Tucker Carlson points out is if in fact these are FBI informants, we don't know that. There's other reasons why a co-conspirator is not named or charged. So for example, they might not have been informants in advance, they might simply be individuals turning state's evidence. They might have been contacted by the FBI, arrested, and interviewed, and they found that um, you know, they weren't really the ringleaders, but they were involved with the ringleaders, and we need them to testify. So they cut them a deal. That, that's possible. Um, unindicted co-conspirators can also be individuals that the FBI doesn't have enough evidence on. Um, but they want them to be able to testify because if you're a co-conspirator, you can testify about what your co-conspirator said, which is otherwise hearsay, and it's permitted in a criminal trial. So there's a lot of reasons why there might be co-conspirators unnamed and unindicted for now. We don't know what will happen down the road. Um, but if Tucker Carlson is right, then it could raise what we've already known because many people that were there and Rob actually had conversations with several of them and I would like him to talk about that that said this looked and smelled like a trap and these were guys who were in the military who understood ambushes Rob yeah I had a uh, a call shortly after the uh, the event from a very close friend who actually at, at one point was my uh, platoon sergeant in the Marine Corps he went on to become an officer he was an officer in the army and and uh, actually worked for intelligence for the government for many many years and uh he was there at the steps of the capitol and he called me he said you remember what we used to discuss you know if an attack is going really well it's likely an ambush he said it was just there was like no resistance at all and it wasn't that the people were you know storming the uh, the capitol with you know with spears and torches and that's it was just common everyday people who just were kind of following with the crowd and let right in and they were walking right into it. And, and we know from, I mean, they face ID'd everybody there. I, I was got a call from a, somebody here in, uh, in Michigan who was just there with his two sons. He had an FBI agent show up at his door, right? There was, there is an FBI dragnet going across this country to get anybody who had any association with the January 6th event in, including those who were engaging in pure First Amendment activity. That is troubling. And you, you compare that to this Black Lives Matter, you know, all summer long, rioting, looting, true violence, people, you know, using weapons and, you know, attacking federal government buildings. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and you see almost nothing, nothing of that in the news. But, you know, it's Tucker Carlson's point, and, and again, I haven't read the indictments either, but one of the points he was making is if you look at these, unindicted co-conspirators, these were people who were seriously actively involved, right? If, if they were that seriously actively involved, why aren't these the guys that are being prosecuted? You know, if they're so, so you you just want to cut a deal, you got everything on videotape, why do you have to cut deals with these people? It doesn't make any sense in this context, in this case, that, there would, that that would necessarily be, 
you know, somebody who just might, you know, want to turn state's evidence as it were, it's more likely that they might be FBI agents or, or agents of the government who, who worked with these groups and, and quite frankly may have instigated this, uh, this, uh, you know, capital, the, uh, the January 6th, uh, capital protest. I'm not going to even call it a riot because it wasn't a riot. I'm not going to call it a, uh, you know, certainly it wasn't an insurrection. And, and then you add, you know, couple that with the fact that some of these defendants who were, I mean, yeah, they make it a felony because it's like trespassing on federal government property. But there's only one person that was killed in all this. And that was a, a woman, uh, a, 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 you know, a military veteran woman who was shot by a Capitol police officer, right? We don't even know who, the name of that Capitol police officer who did the shooting as of yet. And yet you have people these people who are arrested and being in, uh, prosecuted, some of them are in solitary confinement, right? And this, and even in, re, as reported in this uh, news story with Tucker Carlson, it's like 10,000 hours of surveillance video that they haven't even turned over yet, not to the public, but not even to the attorneys of these individuals defending them. I mean, this is terrible. And I, with that, with the shooting point in this same story, he, uh, he ran a clip of, uh, of uh, Vladimir Putin, who was asked a question by a reporter from NBC. And this is, this is very interesting. And so this NBC reporter asked uh, uh, Putin, did you order, and I think it's Alexei Navalny, if I'm, uh, if I'm staying correctly, he's basically a Soviet dissident. Alexei, did you order Alexei Navalny's assassination? And here's Putin's response. Of course not. We don't have this kind of habit of assassinating anyone. That's number one. Number two, I want to ask you, did you order the assassination of the woman who walked into the Congress and was shot and killed by a policeman? Do you know that 450 individuals were arrested after entering the Congress? And they didn't go there to steal a laptop. They came with political demands. Interesting, right? So he's here. You had Putin saying, look, is this a political assassination of this, this woman? You have a police officer just shot this woman who just went there to, to, uh, you know, to make a, a grievance to her government officials. So, you know, they're, they're watching this. Uh, he, he's stealing a, a, a page right out of the uh, progressive left's, um, you know, playbook on this stuff. But David. Yeah, you know, and let's be very clear. Vladimir Putin is a dictator. Uh, he's been in power uh, well past uh, what any Democrat, democratically elected uh, leader would be. He's fixed his position. Um, he's become a billionaire. Um, and uh, it is classic um, uh, dictator talk or speak to point to Western civilization and say, well, you see that, well, what was I doing any different than you? But here's some key points, and we're gonna put our legal hats on now for you. Remember we talked about the Wuhan lab and why the circumstantial evidence, which is good evidence, uh, establishes that the COVID-19 came from that lab. And whether it was an accident or it was um, uh, civilian accident research or military accidental research or a military biological weapon weaponized for a purpose, um, we, the evidence certainly stacks up on the side of the Wuhan lab um, as opposed to nature. And we've known that for a while. We'll talk about that in a bit, but remember that it's not science that's going to answer the question per se. It's going to be a forensic um, scientific analysis. You'll have some science which will measure certain things and look at the 
the, the, the COVID-19 virus and what could have been by nature, what wasn't, what were they doing in, in the Wuhan lab. But most of that work will be forensic, meaning a legal analysis of the circumstantial evidence. Now, look at this January 6th um, issue. And again, I'm not going to call it a riot and I'm not going to call it an insurrection, notwithstanding folks like my dear friend Andy McCarthy from the National Review um, does call it a riot. I don't think he goes so far as an insurrection, but he's pretty critical of it. I'm not. I think I know what it was. Um, a lot of good folks, well-meaning folks, um, uh, exercising their First Amendment right peacefully with some rabble-rousers who went in. And now the question is, how much of this was a setup? Now, again, we don't know, but let's look at the circumstantial evidence. The government has not released all of the security tape. And there are apparently thousands of hours of security tape. You could imagine that the seat of, of Congress, the security cameras that are available, and in Washington, DC, just generally at intersections, traffic lights, what have you. I mean, it's, it's blanketed with security cameras. And this is especially true after 9-11. New York is, we know New York City is. That's number one. Number two, they have not released the name of the police officer who shot the woman veteran, the only person who was killed, and who certainly didn't go there with any violent intent. We don't know, we haven't seen the video of that shooting. How is it that that's not public? You get a police officer shoot someone in the George Floyd world, and the cams are demanded, the cams are published, it's right out there everywhere. In fact, the police now rush to release these things to at least get that evidence out there because they know if they don't, the other side of the political spectrum, the, the Black Lives Matter types are going to be rioting and burning down the city. So you, you don't have that information, you don't have the security tapes, you have this this issue of the co-conspirators and their senior level involvement in organizing the rabble rousers, the violent ones, not indicted. You have the president of the United States, his response, by the way, to Putin, President Biden's response to Putin's remark about the killing of, of the veteran and the arrest was, oh, this is ridiculous. Um, in, in, on January 6th, you had um, rioting, you had the murder of a Capitol Police officer. Now note that, immediately during, following and during this January 6th event, the media came out based upon reports from the government sources New York Times and others, that a Capitol Police officer was murdered by one of the rioters. Well, it turned out that was false. The only one killed was the, the woman veteran who was there to peacefully protest. Let me just say that because everybody remembers George Floyd's name. Her name is Ashley Babbitt, right? right. We should remember her name, Ashley Babbitt, who Ashley was Babbitt. killed by a Capitol Police officer while she was at the uh, Capitol on January 6th. So... We have this Capitol Police officer who died later that day. It turns out 
after it was reported in the media and it was repeated during Trump's second impeachment trial. And it was um, mentioned or impeachment, not the trial, the second one, uh, as part of the indictment. And it's been mentioned by the president and the left nonstop. When they actually did the examination, the medical examiner, they found that he died of natural causes. And that should have been the medical examiner's full stop. Natural causes had nothing to do with tear gas or, or, or um, the, the bear spray or whatever it is that they, they thought, or that he was hit by a fire extinguisher, which was the first story. But the medical examiner is then pressured because what does he add? And it's mentioned in the stories because when President Biden said, that the Capitol rioters murdered this police officer, the media knew it was false. So what did they add? They add the fact that the medical examiner found he died by natural causes, but that it was connected to the January 6th riots. But what does that mean? What is the medical exam? What is the, what is the medical term connected to? And how is that death from a medical forensic point of view connected to the riots? He doesn't say, he just added that. And the reason they added that language in the medical examiner's report was to buttress the narrative that these rioters committed murder and they were trying to overthrow the US government and its processes of electing and or you know, confirming the, the vote for President Biden. That tells you circumstantially all of that evidence, the lack of security videos, the, the, the false narrative about murder, the unindicted co-conspirators, the hiding of the evidence about who killed this, this veteran, Ashley Babbitt, all of that suggests strongly that something is going on with that January 6th event that the government is actively trying to conceal the same way we had the Wuhan and the Chinese government and then the WHO and then Fauci jumping on board to cover up. Anytime you have a corporation or a government that refuses to give you evidence that you know they have and then attempts to craft a narrative that blames someone else when that narrative doesn't seem to hold true to the facts, that's strong circumstantial evidence that the bad actor is that party doing the concealment. Yeah, and, and one other point with regard to the alleged you know, murder of the Capitol um, police officer, there's not one charge of, for homicide anywhere in any of these, on any of these indictments because it, it didn't happen, right? So we know, we know that as a matter of fact, because if there, if there was any way that his death could be contributed in a liability way to anyone's actions there, there would have been a homicide charge in there. So what, yeah, that goes to the point of, you know, the medical examiner's comments are meaningless. They're certainly meaning, meaningless as a matter of law because there's no way that anyone that it was involved in any way that January 6th had any 
criminal liability associated with that officer's death, or there would have been some charge of manslaughter or something, you know, some sort of homicide charge, and there, there isn't one. So that should uh, close the book on that one. But, you know, don't, the left never lets, uh, you know, good facts get in their, the way of their particular um, narrative. We're, um, you know, we're running on here. So I know, I know we had some more things we're going to talk about cases, but I wanted, you mentioned the Wuhan lab, um, but there was also some new information about the, uh, about the COVID-19 vaccines. Do you want to uh, address that? So let me just um, touch on the, the Wuhan lab and I'll go into the vaccines quickly. So what do we now know? Well, we now know that um, the evidence is circumstantial evidence continues to pile up that this thing came from the Wuhan lab. And it's so telling and it's so strong that um, both sides, Chinese side and the American side that were trying to convince us that it could not have been the lab and it must have been a, just a natural freak accident of mutation are digging in their heels. And they're digging in their heels for a very, very specific reason. If they be, actually were to concede that they in fact were denying the science and the evidence that linked COVID-19 to the Wuhan lab, it would unravel the narrative immediately. So what is Fauci now saying? Fauci's reported as saying in a revisionist fashion that I and, and uh, that he always speaks with we when he's in trouble, that we meaning the bureaucratic scientists, the technocrats, we um, never said that it was not the Wuhan lab. We simply, uh, told people to keep an open mind. Oh, we might not have actually said keep an open mind publicly, but that's what we intended to say. Fauci joined with the other scientists in denying that narrative of the Wuhan lab based upon the evidence. They denied it for clear political ideological reasons. Even the media is understanding that that took place. And what the, 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 the narrative now is, well, Trump politicized the Wuhan lab. Trump made it a racist. And if he hadn't done that, we would have been more open about our reservations uh, that it might've come from the Wuhan lab. Understand that's a cons that's the true conspiracy of concealment beginning to unravel, and um, to kind of go from that to the vaccines and the new news. All you have to do is look at the headlines. Country after country, uh, headline after headline is pointing out that the vaccines, while they're still very effective in the short term in preventing um, the infection or in reducing the infection's um, uh, virility if you do get it after having been vaccinated is very effective over the short term. There are unintended consequences still unfolding. And what are those unintended consequences that we know to date? 
we know that young males, especially with the um, one of the particular brands of vaccines, are suffering at high levels this enlarged heart condition and um, issues that result from that enlarged heart condition. Now, what they're telling us is that, well, this enlarged heart condition is, is um, as it were, fixing itself relatively quickly and there's no long-term results. They don't know that. Again, that's a narrative about what they don't know. The point, there's other evidence coming out that, that the um, vaccine um, may or may not be effective against the most recent strand. And of course, we don't know how effective or how long the vaccine that works against the original strand is going to work. Does it work for another year? The point being is that countries are literally stopping young males from having the vaccine or children because of the unintended consequences. The point being is what we've pointed out in the past. These vaccines are of an entirely new type, new generation, RNA, DNA manipulation, messaging. And we don't know what the medium and long-term results are going to be. And indeed what we see with these enlarged heart conditions for young males, we don't even know apparently what the short-term negative consequences are ultimately going to be. Now, if government, if the bureaucrats, if the scientists like Fauci were honest, what they would tell us is if you're at risk and even if you're not, we would advise everyone to have a vaccine, but we have to tell you, we don't know what the unintended consequences are. We simply don't know. That's why they're called unintended. We haven't done the long-term studies. These are all new vaccine types. And we can't tell you that there aren't going to be adverse results, consequences, two years down the road, five years down the road, like we've seen from fully tested and approved drugs that have gone on the market and they had to be pulled from the market because of unintended consequences years later. But they're not telling us that and why? Because government bureaucrats are concerned that if we use our own rational risk-based risk analysis, that we might decide in too large a numbers to wait and not be vaccinated and that would ruin their public policy. It has nothing to do with science. View that everybody should be vaccinated. Yeah, this, and uh, we're running out of time here. We had about eight different cases we were going to discuss, but we'll save that for the next podcast. But let me just kind of do a full circle back around and, and kind of wrap this one up. Going back to that uh, that North Korean woman who was in Yale, and uh, excuse me, at uh, Columbia, uh, one of the Ivy League schools, and this is what she said. Um, she said, this is what is happening in America. Quote, people see things, but they've just completely lost the ability to think critically. End quote. And, and that's where we, the, the, the government is forcing, when, when you listen to the government propaganda, and you know, I, I see that, I, I don't think a, a day doesn't go by where I don't see a billboard or hear a radio commercial or see a television, uh, a television ad or something from the government they present this vaccine like it's foolproof, right? Even to the point that now it's, oh, if you don't want to have to wear your mask, you know, then 
then you need to get a vaccine. So all of you who have been fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks. So the government's saying, look, hey, if you don't, if you get this vaccine, then we'll allow you to breathe. For the rest of you, you know, you got to walk around with your mask on, basically saying unclean, unclean. You know, it's 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 an absurdity. And they and they totally, totally disregard. And I know in all the restrictions and things I've seen, you know, since the vaccine came out, totally disregard natural immunity, right? Those of us who've had seriously, you know, certainly those of us who've seriously had the disease. And it would seem to me, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a virologist, but if you're, you know, you're given a vaccine that through this mRNA, that's going to basically tell my body to create immunities against this virus, immunities that, and for me, for example, my body created those immunities naturally and immunities that we know worked because I survived and it killed off the, uh, killed off the virus but somehow my immunity is less in terms of my, you know, social status and freedom than somebody who goes and gets this government uh, drug pumped into their arm. This is all frightening. This is scary. And, and that's why, you know, circling back around the comments from that, uh, that North Korean student, uh, you know, uh, uh, worthwhile to uh, think about and, and ponder. And like I said, I posted that article up on our, on our, our Facebook page. So, I'd encourage you to uh, to read it in its entirety. David, any last comments before I close it up here? No, I'm good. I think uh, you wrapped it up well. All right, great. As I mentioned, you know, that's all the time we have today. We, As always, we look forward to our next discussion, and we thank all of you for joining us. Um, and as you know, our video casts are posted on our Rumble and YouTube channels, Faith and Freedom Fighters, and our podcasts are posted on Spotify and Stitcher. Also, the title is Faith and Freedom Fighters. If you like the content, please follow us and please uh, spread the word. And we thank you again. And as always, may God bless you and may he continue to bless America. Amen.